0: Thanks. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your your very real presence here with us already today. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you so much for who you are. And thank you for these words um, Mm. of your gospel that have been handed down generations to generations and that we are just a part of your big story, your big story of your church, your bride that is going on. And... um, and uh, and we are going on towards you, Lord. Would you lead us on more and more and more towards you? That we would become more like you. And we thank you for the words that you've given Gordy to say today. We thank you for what you've put on his heart. Thank you for what you've been doing in his life this week. Thank you. Um, yeah. Thank you that you're here. We just pray that you'd speak with him, to him to us through him, and that you would help him to clear his mind, that you would bring quiet to his soul, that he would be able to be totally focused on what you have to say, and um, that you would bless each one of us with ears to hear. In your precious name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen.
1: Thanks, Joanna. Oh, thanks for the tea. Thank you. Carolyn. Thank you, Carolyn. All right. Well, Happy New Year, if I missed you last week. Uh, I, I know some of you weren't here, so good to see you. And um, just want to introduce our newest homestay, Sue. Sue, do you want to just stand and let everybody see it? Can you welcome her? She's going to be with us for a couple of weeks. Welcome, Sue. And um, we are, if you're just joining us uh, for the first time as a as a visitor, we have been going through the Sermon on the Mount uh, for the last three or four months. And we are now beginning chapter six. We've called this series an alternative society. And uh, we started the series early in the fall where Jesus declared the course objectives. We talked about the Sermon on the, the Mount being like a syllabus for the the course on discipleship that Jesus had to offer and that the course objectives is that God would have a people on the earth who would be who would so demonstrate his light and his love that people would turn to him and worship wherever they live that's the goal of the sermon on the mount that's the goal that Jesus is wanting to accomplish and so it's with great joy and excitement after a Christmas break, uh, which was a lot of fun in itself. We're going to resume the series today, and we're starting in uh, chapter 6 of Matthew. Uh, but before we do, I just wanted to send you a little update from the Ponteltis. a little greeting. Uh, I received this photo yesterday or the day before. This is apparently a friend of Elise with, uh, whose name is Chloe. Isn't that interesting? Uh, because Elise has a sister named Chloe, and they're grinding cassava leaves for making beer. It's a dinner like spinach in peanuts and tomato sauce, so sounds good. But uh, by the way, if you're just visiting, the Penteltis are a family that has been a part of our church since the early 90s, and... I married Dan and Kirsten in 1996, 97, dedicated their three children, so they're kind of one of these long-term families that are presently in uh, the country of Rwanda, while Kirsten is doing her PhD field study on the role of children and youth in nation rebuilding. So, it's a one-year sojourn. They will be back January or July, June the 5th. So... Uh, They're just sending greetings. Sent a couple other pictures here. Uh, Dan Dan wrote me and told me that he wanted the church to see his miraculous new hair growth that's occurring. Uh, These are actually bananas that are growing in their yard. And the season of harvest has come. Another lovely family picture. Some of you saw this. Uh, Ralph and Donna Bromley are with them uh, over Christmas time. So... Yeah, isn't that amazing? So, uh, anyway, uh, just remember to love and pray for them and to communicate with them through Facebook, through email. Uh, Read their blog. The information on their blog is online. And so, Lord, we lift up the Pontelti family before you now. We we ask, Lord, for your continued blessing and favor on them and uh, for your joy to be their strength. Uh, I pray particularly for Kirsten, that you would empower her to, to do the work that needs to be done in her field study. Uh, and, and that much good and much fruit would come uh, to your kingdom as a result of this, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Dan and Kirsten, if you log on to our podcast, we just say we love you in Jesus' name. And Aidan, Elise, and Chloe. So, let's read our text together. I'll read the first slide from Matthew chapter 6. Where Jesus starts by... And the chapter division wasn't put there by Jesus, but there is a noticeable shift in what Jesus is is moving through here, his theme. And he starts by saying these words, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Let's all read the second slide together. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Kathleen and I watched a documentary um, this week uh, called The Doc Zone on CBC, and it was on the proliferation of counterfeits in our world today. And it featured counterfeit products of all uh, varieties, whether medicine or food, that is being reproduced in mass to make money. And uh, one of the most intriguing was the proliferation of counterfeit airplane parts, which really is an encouraging thought if you do a lot of flying. And... So much so, and they gave an example of an airplane crash that occurred in South America, where after the crash, scavengers came in mass and grabbed parts out of the plane, and then they ended up back on the market being sold uh, to aer- airline companies and, and put in air- in airplanes. How many have heard of the Concorde? This kind of went out of business in two thousand and three. The Concorde. It's called the Concorde because it's a supersonic airplane that was uh, uh, kind of an agreement between Air France and and, and British Airways for a number of years. And because it traveled at supersonic speed, it could arrive uh, in New York. A normal trip between London and New York would be eight hours. It was three and a half hours. My uncle once ended up on it kind of by accident he made a big stink about a ticket that didn't work out for him, and so they put him on the Concorde. He said he left from London and arrived in New York before he arrived in New York before he left. That's how he said it. They for the longest time boasted on never having had a crash that cost life until the year 2000. All of this changed when an airplane took off the runway in France, and all of a sudden they noticed that it was in flames. And within a few uh, minutes, the plane had crashed over Paris into a small hotel. And so all over 100 passengers and crew died, as well as a few people on the ground. But remarkably, the cause of this crash was a defective part, a counterfeit part. But it wasn't a defective part on the Concorde. What had happened was five minutes before the Concorde took off, a a Continental Airlines DC-10 took off, and a metal strip was left lying on the runway, just a little metal strip about this long and about that wide, and it belonged to uh, a a thrust reversal cowl door on one of the engines of Continental Airlines, and it had fallen off. And research showed that this part had neither been manufactured or installed in accordance with procedures as defined by the manufacturer. It was a counterfeit part. This part, the the, uh, Concorde tire hit it. It flattened the tire and the debris that flew up and hit one of the uh, gas tanks on the Concorde. So a counterfeit part caused incredible collateral damage. And this is what Jesus is talking about, that there is a collateral damage that comes from counterfeit righteousness. This is what our, our text is talking about. Jesus says, watch out. I, I, I looked up this Greek word and how it appears in the New Testament. And, and it, it appears about 11 times, but most of the times that this word, look out, if you're German, it's It's like... Beware, be on guard, be alert. I was part of the safety committee when I worked at University of BC Mining Department. And during that time, I learned the importance of vigilance. Now, a good safety committee does not encourage, uh, uh, discourage uh, measured risks. A good safety uh, committee encourages vigilance and being watchful. And because every, every industry, every endeavor, there is a, a measured risk. There's a risk to being a disciple of Jesus. It's not dangerous. Safety was not the highest priority for Jesus when he said to us, Behold, I send you forth as sheep among wolves. But there is a vigilance that he calls for, a diligence, a watchfulness. And the most times that he refers to this word is when it has to do with counterfeit righteousness. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the scribes. Remember, he talks about that. Beware of their teaching. Beware of their ways. Now, there are other uh, contexts for being vigilant. He talks about watching out for uh, false teachers, watching out for persecution, watching out for um, yourselves. He said, Paul talks about watch out. There's, 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 a, there's different hazards and dangers, but the most frequently occurring uh, caution has to do with this area of counterfeit righteousness. And I think it's because Jesus knew the collateral damage that comes from it. Counterfeit righteousness is a unique hazard to discipleship, and it requires an incredibly high measure of due diligence, And so this is his concern in his instructions that he starts off the passage with when he says, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. What's he after here? He's after countering this false, counterfeit righteousness because, you know, when you and I get saved from our sin and we, you know, we're rejoicing in our salvation and we begin to walk with Jesus, it's not long before we run into the opposite hazard. We've been saved from unrighteousness, but then we begin to, to, to struggle with self-righteousness. It's just, it's just a normal part of the deal. And, um, and he's, he's trying to counter that right at the very outset of our discipleship. And these acts of righteousness will be covering over. He, he particularly addresses the issue of giving to the needy. Uh, he talks about prayer. talks about fasting. That in, in these areas in particular, there are hazards of self-righteousness and counterfeit righteousness. Eugene Peterson paraphrases this passage. I love this in the message. Be especially careful when you're trying to be good. So you don't make a performance out of it. It might be good theater, but the God who made you won't be applauding. (laughs) I like that. Now why? Why is this a concern? Because Jesus said the moment you begin to shift into doing it to be seen by others, the counterfeit has already begun. There's a duality, a duality a dichotomy that's occurred in your being. You weren't made for that. You begin to become separated from who you really are. Now, he doesn't... Obviously, he's not talking about uh, doing things where nobody ever sees you. That would be impossible because most of the things, good things we do, we will do for others. And it's very hard to, to hide that. Uh, I'm doing a good deed right now. I'm preaching the gospel. It's very hard for me to hide that. But it's not what I'm doing or who sees me, but it's why I'm doing it. And it's who I'm doing it for. Right? That's that's what He's after, the orientation of your heart. Uh, And I've struggled sometimes in my preaching ministry because God has had to deal with me about the fact that this is as much an act of worship for me, I, do, I offer it to him. I say, Lord, this is my offering. And some Sundays I feel like it just sucks and I vow never to preach again. And God will deal with me and say, who are you doing it for? Right? Did you give me what, what I gave you? Did you give back to me what I gave you? Did you do your best? Did you, did you give me your best? Yes. Then that's all I ask for. But uh, I I don't know Joanna I don't know about you But I I usually feel like If you use baseball terms I hit about one out of four Seriously that's how I feel It's a very hazardous And difficult vocation And uh, maybe we should just Have church once a month I don't know but anyway Um, Yeah So no that's why we have a team um, For sure but it's, it's, it's something where the Lord is just... I, I think people in public ministry, this is particularly an issue and a hazard. So let's, first of all, get something straight. Approval and affirmation is not bad in itself. In fact, it's absolutely essential. And I think that sometimes we get into trouble when we, we deny this. Uh, When children come into our lives, we there is something about us as parents that wants to affirm them. As I held that little granddaughter, the newest one, when she first arrived, there was just something in me that said, thank you. Just said, thank you. What was the thank you for? For being. Thank you for coming. Thank you for existing. And that was a grandfather affirming the the, the arrival of a new life. And every one of us were created for that. And that's what we're getting in this baptism passage. When the heavens opened and the Father said, Thank you, you're my son. I delight in you. There's joy that you give me. And every one of us were born for that. And if you deny that, if you say, "No, no, 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 I don't need that. What happens is you begin to become sociopathic. You begin to separate yourself from the real need that you and I have for affirmation. We were born for that. The Bible says, let honor be given where honor is due. And you are created in the image of God. You are created so that the universe would say, wow, there is something about God that I can see in your life that I wouldn't have seen otherwise. And the Bible says, give honor where honor is due. Remember when John saw that fellow in Revelation and he, he said, I fell down to worship him? And he said, don't worship me. I'm your fellow servant. But you see, our real identity and existence is we are so so created in the image of God that that is honor due to us. And so we give that to our children, don't we? We give that, we, we affirm them. And as parents, the natural instinct is to, to speak. Uh, there's a naming that we named our children. We name our sons and our daughters. Not just their physical names, but we name their, their character. We call them. We call them forth. We see. We speak what we see on them. We prophesy. And so it's important to acknowledge that need because if we don't, we, we disconnect from relationships and become either depressed or sociopathic. I think people that are into heavy addictions and gaming and things like this, I think are often indications of a denial of, of their need for that affirmation the Father created us for. So even Jesus, as I said, in His humanity, He needed that affirmation. So the issue is not whether or not we need it, but but how we will receive it and where we attempt to receive it and and who we we want to get it from. Now here's the tricky thing. We were all created for affirmation from God, but most of God's affirmation, probably 95%, and I'm just guesstimating the percentage, 95% of God's affirmation of you and me is going to come through others, through people. First of all, it's supposed to come through your parents. Now some of you that didn't happen. That's okay. We're going to deal with that in a minute. Most of us probably didn't get it perfectly from our parents, but our God gives us to our parents so that for the for the first few years of our lives, they can model to us the father's love and affirmation of us and his delight in us. You and I were created to know that we're delightful. Do you know why? Cuz you are. God thinks you're so cute. He just gets all excited and silly like a grandpa
0: when,
1: when he sees you. And our parents were, cre- were given to us as a gift to model that. And it wasn't long in the journey with my own children that I began to say to them, I'm not your real dad, you know that. I'm your earthly dad, but your real dad wants you to know how, how loved you are by him. And I've sought to model that, and I know Kathleen sought to model that. We're not perfect. We made mistakes. But that is the role of parents. And then, as we come into the family of God, the body of Christ, where God has intended that through one anothering, we, we affirm one another. Every act of righteousness, of generosity, of love, is worthy of thanks. It ought to be thanked. It ought to be affirmed. It was meant to be affirmed. The universe is not right unless it's affirmed. Right? That's the way God made things. You know, I think there's a little bit about that when we thank and praise God, when we worship him. It's not that God has this big ego and he says, "Please praise me or I'll be insecure here on my throne." That's not what it's about. It's about entering into the dance of the of the universe that we were we were we're, we're meant to be in this river of thanksgiving and worship and affirmation and, and love and encouragement. How much in the New Testament there is about that. So much about that. So the trick is is that God often affirms us through others. But if, we're, if we haven't had our orientation focused on, on, on recognizing that God is the source, we begin to look to others for that. And and depend on others for that. That's the danger, and and it creates this um, condition that Leanne Payne calls being bent. Now, the Bible often talks about the term being upright. Well, the word upright literally means that you have learned to gain your affirmation and approval from God. It is most important to you in your life what God thinks, how, how God views what you are and what you do. That's more important than Stephen Harper. That's more important than the Oscars. That's more important than Tina Fey. Praise God. Um, <laughs> it's more important than winning the Super Bowl, right? right. It, it, it's not what people think. It's what God thinks. And that's, that's called being upright, living your life that way. Being bent is when you begin to emotionally look to people. So if I'm, if I'm emotionally up when everybody thinks I preached a good sermon and I'm emotionally down, everybody thinks it sucked, it shows there's a level of bentness in me. I've been reading through Jeremiah. I, I've always told people, don't read Jeremiah in, in November, December, and January. And I didn't follow my own advice. I'm reading, he takes depression a long way for the glory of God. <laughs> But I love this guy. Actually, I haven't found it depressing at all. As I've read Jeremiah, I thought, this dude, he I mean, he, he does what God tells him to do. And you know what his success? Can you imagine him going to a pastor's conference? And they say, hey, Jerry, how's your church doing? <laughs> well, uh, the board members beat me up last week. Uh, they threw me in jail. Um, you know, the king wants to kill me. Uh, I mean... He he could not depend on. He could not look to results. He could not look to our ideas of success. For him, success was obedience. And there's a lot of times now when I pray, I say, Lord Jesus, you are my, you are my success. You are my achievement. You are my uh, vindication. And any sense of achievement comes by knowing you, by loving you, by walking with you. That's what being upright is. Upright is it comes from God, right? Emotionally. So we seek our validation uh, from others. Upright is getting our validation and affirmation from God. Being bent is from others. All right. So Jesus gives us a little bit of advice on how not to do our righteousness when you give to the needy notice he doesn't say if you give says when you give so this is part of our discipleship That, and, and by the way who are the needy? huh? you know it, it, I, I think this is where we get in trouble if the needy happens to be a category over here and it's an us and them we've already missed it the needy happens to be who's ever facing the Christ Mark and Lynn were this past week we were, I mean, there was a radio station in Calgary that did this contest as a, for a needy family to get a bunch of Christmas presents. And guess who won the award? My family in Calgary because of Marcus's accident. I, and all of a sudden realized, I, for years and years, we've done that for other families this year. And we did it for another family this year at Christmas time. And then all of a sudden, I, I heard the phrase, we are them. That's us. So, needy is just, it's, it's relative, right? It, it means that all of us are both, as we walk through life, we're both the ones that are doing well, and we're the ones that are, doing need, we are in need. And, and so, and in our life of one anothering, there is this helping the needy, lifting the discouraged, helping the oppressed. Um, I think there are certain categories of people. I think single moms, people that are, 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 are in, in, in volatile situations, often God says, give them special attention. But we are all in the same category. We all are needy. And he said, when you help the needy, there are hazards. Do not announce it with trumpets. Now, that's actually a shofar. Sorry, wrong trumpet. Which is,
0: woo,
1: how do you do it? Woo. All right. Anyway, I'll, I'll stop. I'll stop. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. There is no evidence that anybody ever did that. So when Jesus said this, what, what was he doing? What was he, why did he say that? If, if they didn't do that, literally, why did he say that? psychology. Yeah. I think he was a real psychologist, wasn't he? The fact of the matter was, he said, you're not doing that outside, but inside you are. That's what it... And and it's a message for all of us. It's a message for all of us. Now, uh, the offering boxes in the temples, they say looked a bit like a shofar. They were designed a bit like a shofar. So maybe it was the noise that they made when they put the coins in. Bang, bang. Who knows? I don't know. But his point was, it was more of an internal disposition of show. There was a bentness. And he, he said, don't announce it with trumpet as the hypocrites do, which was another word for counterfeits. Don't do it like the counterfeits do in the synagogues and in the streets. The word hypocrite, hypocrites in the Greek, literally meant a Greek stage actor. And, and everybody knew that when some dude got up and said, I'm going to star as Alexander the Great, that that wasn't Alexander the Great in the stage. He was two people. And so it's, it's this idea of being one person when you're preaching and another person when you're at home with your wife. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, I tell you, I... There, there, I can be a real hypocrite. I need to tell you that right now. I can be a real hypocrite. You know, how sweet and lovely and gentle pastor I am. But I can be so impatient. Man, this past week I had a bunch of technical problems. I can't tell you how close I came to dropping the F-bomb several times. Now, I used to specialize. I was the greatest F-bomb guy in the world. And so I have a real problem when I, of reverting to the F bomb because it has issues with me. Some of you don't have those same issues, but for me, I do. And I can't. There's a couple of times where I go. I went. <sighs> Forever.
0: <sighs>
1: <sighs> Forever. That's a good one. I like that one. Christian F word facilitator. I don't know. Anyway. So. Anyway, the point is, is, is I've had to repent a few times. Uh, a lot of times uh, of duality of hypocritical it's just different settings where I behave differently and, I, and God just will nail me and say what's going down here right? you're on stage you're on stage right? so uh, again those of us in public are particularly now our world understands hypocrisy I found this on the, on the internet it's the, pa- the practice of Professing beliefs, feelings, or virtues that one does not hold or possess. Falseness. Um, An act of, uh, or instance of such falseness. Here's how Eugene Peterson translates that uh, that passage that Jesus talks about, the blowing of the trumpets. When you do something for someone else, don't call attention to yourself. You've seen them in action, I'm sure. Play actors, I call them. Treating prayer meetings, street corner alike as a stage acting compassionate as long as someone is watching, playing to the crowds. They get applause too, but that's all they get. So Jesus tells us how not to do it. Here's how you do it, he said. First of all, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. It's an interesting phrase, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. He goes even farther than not letting someone else know what you're doing. It's like not even, as Matthew Henry writes, not even letting yourself know what you're doing. It's almost like an unself consciousness about what you're doing. Remember those people that said, Lord, when did we see you hungry and we fed you? When did we see you thirsty and we. They were so unself conscious about it, they'd completely forgotten that they did it. Isn't it it fun when God comes to remind you of something that you did or He did through you? And He thanks you for it? So Peterson said, when you help someone out, don't think about how it looks. Just do it. Quietly and unobtrusively. That is the way your God, who conceived you in love, working behind the scenes, helps you out. In other words, it's like Jesus is is giving us this invitation. Rather than... just not doing it to be seen by others, rather than just not doing it for the approval of people, rather than just doing it for God, it's an invitation to actually do it with God, who is the most unobtrusive person in the universe. Do you know how many things He's doing for your life this week and you didn't notice? You didn't see. And it's like God invites you into that inobtrusive work. It's learning to do your righteousness without noise. Uh. Quietly serving, loving, worshiping, giving, without noise, without noise. So... It means that you so unconsciously, unselfconsciously love God and neighbor, you don't even think about what it looks like or who's seeing you. So how do we counter hypocrisy in closing? First of all, cultivate a hidden life with God. There, there is no replacement for this. Alec quoted Lucy Shaw last week. I got another one for you. She writes about in a book about water lines driving through arid country She says, I could guess the presence of a stream or an underground spring by the twisting line of willows that followed the waterline, hugging its contours, curving along the creases between the folds and flanks of the hillsides. And then she writes this, and it's not too difficult to notice the traces of green in a fruitful life that has been watered by the hidden springs of the Spirit. So cultivating a hidden life with God And Jesus talks about this in the coming verses in next week's passage about going into your closet and shutting the door and having this intimacy with God through the scriptures, through prayer, listening, journaling, but just a a walk with God. And I guess the paradox of that is is inviting someone like a spiritual direction director or a soul friend into that. To be accountable to. Because 360 degree vision and self-awareness is so important. But cultivating that hidden life with God. Cultivate, my dad did a study of uh, all these evangelists. The, the scandals that happened in the late 80s and early 90s. in the televangelists. And one after another he found that every one of them had abandoned their devotional life. They had a good public life. But they didn't have a devotional life. They didn't have that private walk with God. So if you need help with that, please call me. please call one of the elders. call There are tools to help us. We're going to be, in the next couple of weeks doing some exercises, walking through the Lord's Prayer. I pray through the Lord's Prayer every day. I guess I have my reward now. But what I'm saying is that it's a tool. I don't pray it like literally, uh, just by rote, but I use it as an outline and I pray through it and I pray for you and I pray for our church I pray for the Vineyard Canada I pray for my, my loved ones and I, and I uh, ask God to involve me in his work David the key, the key to David killing Goliath and being able to face Goliath in front of the crowds when the armies were watching was for years he had served God in obscurity risking his life for his sheep with a lion or a bear, when nobody was applauding, nobody was watching, he, he learned that God was his audience. He learned to hear the applause of heaven, as one author said. Cultivate that. Cultivate the ability to hear your father's, well done. And you have to stop and listen for it. I think that often after Jesus' long times of ministry, you notice that he went and prayed all night. I think that he went to hear the Father's appraisal before he heard anybody else's. He wanted to just say, well, Father, how'd it go? Did I do okay? And I think the Father just poured into him. And and, uh, that's something most of us are not good at at hearing. We'll, We'll talk about that more in a minute in our ministry time. Secondly, practice the spiritual discipline of anonymity. Most of the things you and I do, we will not be able to do in secret. We won't literally be able to do it where nobody knows about it. And that's okay. I don't think that's what Jesus is after here. But Richard Foster, in his book Celebration of Discipline, talks about, just for the sake of your own spiritual exercises, practice doing some things that nobody ever will know. A few months ago, I was telling you about how that I did all this work on the house. I cleaned the windows. I, you know, there was there was mold and all kinds of stuff. I just, man, I just was one man wrecking crew cleaning our house, you know. And at the end of the day, I realized there's probably nobody even gonna notice that I did this.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Girls
1: notice. But here's the, here's the thought. Here's the thought that came to me, is that if I didn't do it it would be noticeable. Right? Yeah. And isn't a lot of our work like that? Yeah. As parents and whatever we're doing, if we don't do it, then it gets noticed. Yeah. That's right. yeah. And I think God designed it that way a little bit. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's just... Um, and, and those of you... A lot of you, this discipline, I don't need to tell you to do that. You're already doing it. I mean, isn't parenting like that? You pour your life in that, life in that little baby and that baby goes... Ah, 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 you know, and... You know, and, and, and poops and, and, and cries and gets hungry and you, you change and you feed and you sleep and, you, and it's just cycle, cycle. And, and does that baby ever say thank you? Does it ever go, oh, you're amazing mom, you know, you're amazing dad, you're amazing grandpa, right? No, it doesn't happen. But why are you doing it? You're being the father. You're being the father's heart to that little one. You are changing their life. because God sees and rewards. Here's some scriptures about God's rewarding. He does reward. But it's a reward that's different than, oh, you did that then hey, I'm going to reward you for it. Oh, you did that, I'm going to give you a treat. It's not that kind. It's it's the it's 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 a reward that is inherent in the very action. It's a reward that's inherent in the very fact that you've been a conduit of God's love. Here's the reward. This, my dear friends, I would like to introduce to you to Alina. And I am so in love. I am smitten. She has me around her finger. And I spent a lot of time with this little one in the last couple weeks. And my favorite times were about a half an hour to an hour before she was going to go to bed. And mom was busy and grandma was busy and everybody was busy. And I got to just hold her. And I would just hold her and hold her. And, and also when she got up in the morning. That was so fun. Because I'd walk in and she'd be crying. Hey, it's time to get up. I'd walk in. As soon as she saw me, a big grin would come over her face. She'd stop crying. She'd, all right, let's go. Right? <laughs> I'd pick her up. And, and she didn't, didn't need to eat right away. She needed changing, but I didn't bother. <laughs> and not yet, anyway. And and we and we would just we would just interact, and she loved to do this. Um, she she loves to put her forehead on my head, oh, sweet. head forehead to forehead, like that, kind of like the football players, hula, <laughs> like that, right? <laughs> um, only it wasn't quite that hard. Um, and um, and then she she would put her cheek to my cheek, mm. and she would just hold it there. And I could literally fear, feel this passing of, of, of an indescribable something happening between us. Uh, and so that's what I mean by the reward of, uh, is, is inherent in the action. Um, this is our older grandchildren Samuel born here in Vancouver eight years ago. And spent his first year here in Vancouver, and he's a Vancouver baby. He cheers for the Canucks uh, in the midst of a very hostile environment in Calgary now. Uh, that's Annalise, with their, they're with their grandma there. This is an incredible skating area, by the way, in Calgary. We can go down rivers for long stretches, and it's just unbelievably beautiful. If you want to do wintertime sports, that's the place. Um, yeah, that's right. There were a lot of those in the backyards. It was cold, man. Um, but Samuel, um, I used to babysit him. And he, uh, I'd at least have him once a week over at our house while his mother went and got German lessons. And he would sleep um, on, my, on my chest. I'd put him down, face down on my chest, and his, his head would go under my chin, and his little feet would come down to about my waist like that. And he would just sleep there between um, colic fits. And um, so, so, you know, I mean, I did this every week for the first, first year that they lived here. And, you know, you think, well, they'll never remember this. They won't know this. They, they're too young to remember, right? Mm. Okay, here's, here's the thing. Every time we say goodbye, this little guy starts to cry. This is the night before. We leave early in the morning. The night before, he starts to cry. He lays down beside me and says, Grandpa, when will you be back? He tries to get me to commit to the exact number of days that it will be before we're back. And then all of a sudden, he rolls over and he lays on top of me, face to face. What's that? It's like the reverse of Elijah, you know, in the Bible. where But it's, he lays... To, and, and his little cheek and his tears just flow over my, my face. We cry together. You see, he may not remember here, those times when he was one, but he remembers here in his heart. right? So the blessing of the Lord makes rich and adds no sorrow, and it doesn't pass away. It, it's, it's eternal, right? This is uh, the last night... When we were celebrating our daughter's 31st birthday, that's our son there getting a card ready. Or he's their favorite uncle, and and here's a picture of Marcus. Uh, Marcus was able to be home. Uh, he got out of the hospital two days before we got home. Got there, and he's able to move around on crutches. Now uh, he still has to sit in a wheelchair a lot, but uh, painkillers and whatever help him kind of through the day. So he was able to come and celebrate birthday party there with Danielle on the last night there. And then after we went home, Kathleen and I babysat four children, and he went with Dee and, and Christian to a movie at around 11 o'clock at night. So he's kind of back to normal, I'll tell you. Uh, anyway, keep praying for him. The foot is still a, a concern. But, but the blessing of the Lord makes rich. It adds no sorrow with it. So all that to say, how do we remove barriers to... to Hearing God's approval. I think that for the longest time uh, I was in ministry, I would pour my heart out serving God in youth ministry in Calgary as an associate pastor, traveling and preaching all over the country. And I couldn't hear God's approval. So I never felt like I did enough. I just never felt... God was happy. And finally, I began to experience this split, this dichotomy in my personality where I, it, the, the penny dropped when I was talking to a young leader and he was, pre- he was talking about how he heard me preaching at a youth rally. And he, and, he, and he saw me preaching and he said, it scared the crap out of me. I said, well, why? He said, well, that kind of intensity and passion and whatever you're preaching with, I just... That could never be me. And all of a sudden I realized somewhere, somehow, who I really was and what I was in public had become two different things. And it was terrifying. It was a terrifying experience. Because I didn't know how I was going to get back. But how many are glad that we have a God, a Father, that says whom He loves, He chastens and He disciplines. And He, he, if you want to be upright, He will get you there. He will integrate you. He will help you. So what I'd like to do is close with a, just a prayer for just those of us who may struggle with hearing the Father's well done. It may be because you just never heard it as a child and, and so that, that whole idea of affirmation is, is hard, it's hard for you to hear. It's a it's a It's a block. And so even when people affirm you sometimes, on one hand you feel like you're so hungry to get it, but on the other hand you find it hard to receive. But if you're, you're just here and you just say, uh, I'd like to be included in, in this prayer to have my ears opened, to better hear the Father's affirmation, that same affirmation that came over Jesus when he stood in the waters of baptism at Theophany. Why don't you just stand right now and I'm going to pray for you. I'm just going to pray that the Lord will just unblock our ears this year as a church to learn to live uh, in His approval and not in our own. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to come right now. Lord, I, I include myself in this prayer. I, I confess that I still sometimes can go long periods of time in working and serving and loving and giving and feeling like i got nothing more to give. And I haven't heard for the longest time. You're well done. Lord, help us not to be passive about this But Lord, would you help us to be proactive, to humble ourselves? You said unless we become like little children and little children say, Watch me, Daddy. Watch me. Look. Look, Daddy. Look at this. Look, Mommy. Look. Look what I'm doing. You said unless we become like little children, we cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And so, Father, we... We repent of pride that denies that we need this. We need to be affirmed. We need your affirmation over our life, Lord. So I ask, Father, first of all, that you would cleanse us of that pride. And Lord, we humble ourselves and say, Daddy, we need your affirmation. We need to hear and feel and know your delight over our lives. And so I ask for that miracle right now. Just as we stand, as we stand, Lord, those of us who stood, Lord, we stand with an, a childlike expression. Daddy, we need you. We need your affirmation. Help us to hear it. Help us to receive it. And in the name of Jesus Christ, I break off every barrier to hearing. The Father's well done in our lives. In Jesus' name. Now I'm going to pray for one more thing, and that's that, Lord, you would now empower us not only to hear for ourselves, but to hear for one another, to call one another, to affirm one another, to to testify to that of God that we see in one another. Lord, to to be conduits of that affirmation. We recognize you're the source, but use us as conduits of that affirmation. And Lord, may we as a congregationally, may we be upright. May we not be bent as a church, but may we be upright, Lord. Always with an ear for your affirmation. That like Jesus, we would say, I only seek to do those things that please my Father. I seek to please him, honor him. Make us that kind of congregation. Lord. Conduits of your affirmation. Conduits to one another. Conduits to a broken world. I want to pray for this woman who's been released from prison into our neighborhood. Who has tortured animals and been violent and, and the whole community is up in arms. And Lord... I speak affirmation to her right now. I ask in the name of Jesus, wherever she is, that she would hear the voice of the Father. That that your love would break through, Lord. That we as a community would be a healing force in a neighborhood that's so broken and unaffirmed. Come, Father. Come, Father. Come, Father. Just receive, now, just even if it's just a simple act of faith of, de- of breathing in, breathing out poisons of criticism, judgment, performance, just breathe in the Father's delight right now for you. Receive the Father's delight for you. There's an open heaven here. The heavens are open. The Spirit has descended. Hear the voice of the Father. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter in whom I have great delight. I delight in you. You are my delight. More than Gordy delights in Alina, and I don't know how that could ever be possible, the Father delights in you. The Father delights The Father delights in you. He made you. He loves you. Because you exist, you are worthy of honor and affirmation and glory. He made you for glory. Receive it. Just receive it. The image of God. The image of God. Why don't we all stand together if some of you would like further prayer, I encourage you to pray with one another. Uh, you can come to the front. Some of us would be willing to pray for you here. Just if, if the Lord is just doing something and you just need more soaking, more work spiritually, uh, yeah, if, if, uh, yeah, just either pray for one another or just come forward and, uh, and we'll pray for you.
0: Just uh, during, is this one? Oh. Um, during your sermon and I just felt I should write down a couple of notes and, of my thanks to you and I'm sure there's many here in the church that feel the same way uh, I know that um, I've been rebuked a lot I've been disciplined it's been a journey back to church for me and I know there are many people here probably that are the same and it's very hard to say thank you and show our appreciation, and maybe that's one of the, t- the reasons you don't hear lots from us. Sometimes it takes a while, too, for things to sink in, and God to do the work in us, but I know that he's doing a lot here in me, and in others as well, and I really appreciate you for that. Thank you, and even for the time that we spent this week talking. Mm.
1: Thanks, Yeah, I, I, I think I get a lot of encouragement here. I don't, I don't feel like you guys are bad at it at all. It's just that, like a lot of us, we're not good at hearing and we're not good at receiving. So it's, it's more on the hearing end that I think, uh, uh, if, if you heard anything from me in that regard, uh, just the inability to hear the Father. But you're very encouraging, and thank you for that, Monica. So may the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God... And the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you. May the Holy Spirit empower you to live a life this week basking in the affirmation and delight of the Father. God bless you. Have a great week.